beefing up its defenses, and for the first time since 1969, Japan and the U.S. made a joint statement on the importance of peace in the Taiwan Strait. In today's show, a top U.S. official in Taiwan tells us why U.S.-Taiwan ties are getting closer than ever. And in more ways than you can imagine. And have you heard of boba apocalypse? <laughs> <laughs> well, we saw a lot of reports this week that the U.S. is running out of the delightful ingredient in boba tea. But don't worry, we're going to show you how to make your own, so you don't have to rely on big boba. I'm Natalie So, and I'm Andrew Ryan, and this is Taiwan Insider. China has been sending warplanes into Taiwan's airspace nearly every day this past month. Planes like these. Now we here in Taiwan aren't the only ones that are concerned. Yes, at their summit last Friday, President Joe Biden and Prime Minister Yoshihide Suga made a joint statement underscoring the importance of peace and stability across the Taiwan Strait. This week, I spoke with the deputy director of the de facto U.S. embassy in Taiwan, the American Institute in Taiwan, Raymond Green. Now, defense of Taiwan is a key issue, and I asked him about the U.S.'s policy. Well, our policy really is rooted in the Taiwan Relations Act、um, on on Taiwan security, which talks about how any non-peaceful change in the status quo would be of grave concern、um, to the United States, and so、uh, it also、um, requires that the United States government support Taiwan's、uh, self-defense capabilities. And that's something we take very seriously, and we've continued to abide by. And I think、um, we talk a lot about the status quo,、um, and we've seen the the status quo since 1979 as well, not maybe being perfect for anybody. Was to the benefit of all parties. Unfortunately, because of PRC actions recently,、uh, that status quo has started to erode, and so now we're looking at how do we maintain that balance. And I think you've seen our、uh, stepped-up engagement with Taiwan、mm-hmm. on the security front. And just since I've arrived three years ago, we've approved something like 17 billion dollars worth of foreign military sales. We support Taiwan's、um, the development of Taiwan's、uh, asymmetric defense capabilities, very much in line with President Tsai's、um, objectives. But also statements like you saw. Out of the summit、uh, meeting between、um, President Biden and Prime Minister Suga, sending a strong message that the international community cares a lot about st- peace and stability in the Taiwan Strait, and so I think that、um, we will continue to to work to maintain that balance to make sure that this area remains peaceful because any conflict would be a disaster for the world. So、uh, it's something I think we all share an interest in avoiding. Now, the U.S. also recently issued some new guidelines for interaction between U.S. and Taiwan officials. Now, they didn't publicize them. However, Deputy Director Green told us what he thought was most important about them. I think the most important guideline or aspect of the new guidelines is, in contrast to previous guidelines, we've had these going back to 1979. But in the past, the focus has been on what you can't do with Taiwan.、Mm. Um, the new guidelines up front and the main kind of thrust of the whole、um, exercise is what you should be doing with Taiwan. Oh, that's great! Yeah, we were、uh, very pleased to see the new guidelines、mm. come out, and particularly the very positive、um, tone language. We re- very much want all agencies of the U.S. government to see、mm. Taiwan as a, a key partner. Because 
because we think Taiwan has so much to offer, be it on public health or law enforcement uh, or the whole range of education. And so we, we want to encourage other agencies in the U.S. federal government to seek out opportunities to have either a relationship with our counterpart agencies or to work with us on things like the Global Cooperation and Training Framework, where the U.S. and Taiwan and Japan come together and provide training for other countries around the world. Uh, and so these kind of programs, I think, are a real opportunity to both showcase what Taiwan is very, um, the expertise that it resides here in Taiwan, but also showcase that the fact that the U.S. and Japan see Taiwan as a key partner to advance our strategic goals in the Indo-Pacific and further afield. Deputy Director Green also gave us some insight into why the U.S. is stepping up engagement with Taiwan. Really, I think what's driving this is the fact that uh, we have so many shared interests and shared values with Taiwan. We really see Taiwan as a model that can, we can hold up for other countries around the world. If you look at how Taiwan's um, uh, immense success in com combating COVID-19 using free democratic principles, it wasn't a strong arm forcing people to kind of violate their basic rights, but rather it was a an example of the Taiwan uh, leadership um, putting their faith in medical professionals, getting the public to uh, support uh, very, uh, I think, scientifically based uh, approaches to pandemic response. And it's something really, I think uh, historians will look back at this crisis, this pandemic, and say there's one place that got it right, and that was Taiwan. And that's something I think we should all feel proud of, that a democracy uh, was the one that I know uh, China and other countries say, you know, it, it takes a authoritarian state in order to uh, uh, to ha manage a crisis like this. And Taiwan is the, the perfect counterexample. But that's only one area. If you look at, for example, civil society, LGBT rights, uh, environmental concerns, really Taiwan across the board uh, is a model that I think we'd like to see countries around the world emulate, especially countries that are looking to, um, to move up the development chain. Uh, there is a, there's an alternative to kind of authoritarian economic growth uh, or democratic uh, reforms, and Taiwan is that. Do you think there's a more awareness of Taiwan in the United States because of, you know, how we dealt with COVID or other um, issues in the past few years? Because I know a lot of Americans may not even know too much about Taiwan. Right. Certainly, one of the um, maybe unexpected uh, side effects of COVID is, I think, not just the United States, around the world, um, I think the awareness of Taiwan uh, has been increased. I mean, there are literally thousands of international media articles that have been written about Taiwan's success. Um, ironically, I think the Chinese pressure on foreign journalists in Beijing has resulted more major outlets uh, coming here, coming right? Here, right? That's so, right. Uh, that's another um, advantage Taiwan has um, kind of achieved from un unfortunate circumstances. But certainly, I think the awareness of Taiwan, the, the awareness of the success of its society, of its political system, of its economy, uh, coupled with um, just the uh, uh, enormous attention to the semiconductor industry. They, they call semiconductors the oil of the 21st century. And if that's the case, Taiwan uh, is perhaps the Saudi Arabia of the 21st century in terms of its um, importance to the international economic system. So be it on economics, on uh, COVID response, or even in security affairs, given all of the publicity about recent uh, PRC uh, activity around Taiwan, I think the awareness of Taiwan um, is at all-time highs. You know, it's really interesting uh, that he said that Taiwan is actually a great model for developing countries. And the reasons for engaging Taiwan don't necessarily have to have something to do with China. That's right. I mean, he was basically gushing about Taiwan uh, throughout the interview. And we also talked about how the U.S. is going to help Taiwan in its bilingual nation 2030 plan and how Taiwan is going to be helping Americans learn Chinese. So mm. the full interview is up on YouTube and Facebook. 
So coming up next, we're going to turn、uh, our the topics to boba apocalypse. Sounds good. <laughs> Sounds yummy. This <laughs> shortage of boba in the world. Well, you know what? You don't have to rely on big boba. You can make boba yourself, and I'm going to do just that in Taiwan Taste Buds. Imagine life without the sweet QQ of boba. Sad, huh? Today I'm going to show you how to make a very simple boba with just three ingredients. So simple, in fact, that when you see headlines warning of a boba shortage, a boba apocalypse, you'll never have to worry again because you're going to be able to make it yourself. So all you need is 100 grams of tapioca starch, 40 grams of brown sugar. And 65 grams of water. Start by boiling the water and adding the brown sugar. Mix it up good. Then pour the mixture into your tapioca starch and quickly combine. Once it's cool enough to touch, you're gonna want to get your hands in there and knead it. And you should be forewarned, this could take a while. If it's too dry, add a little hot water. If it's too wet, add a little starch. This is starting to look pretty good, like modeling clay. But actually, we have a small problem here. It's spreading like lava. I adjust by adding some more tapioca starch, and eventually, I get a nice doughy texture that doesn't stick to my hands. Next, I sprinkle the surface with tapioca starch and roll out about a quarter of the dough into a fat worm. Chop that baby up into tiny chunks, but you'll want them a little smaller than boba because they're going to expand when you cook them. Carefully roll each ball one at a time with two fingers in your palm. If they crumble, wet your fingers.、Boop. And be sure to coat your boba babies with starch so they don't stick together. How about them bobas? Now it's time to cook them, and for that we need a liter of boiling water. Drop your boba in the pot and immediately begin stirring them to keep them from sticking together. Once they rise to the surface with a rolling boil, you'll want to cover the pot and cook them for 15 minutes. Here's what they look like after about 15 minutes. A little big, perhaps, but they've got a nice color and they're slightly translucent. Now I've turned off the heat. I'm gonna let them luxuriate in this hot bath for another 10 minutes to get them nice and chewy at the center, or QQ as we say in Taiwan. At this point, you can run them under cold water if you don't want them to get too gloopy. But I head straight to the final step and add some brown sugar to sweeten them up. Don't these babies look delicious? Only thing that's missing now is some sweet Taiwanese milk tea to wash them down. And now the moment of truth. How do our little、uh, boba taste? Ooh, those look good. They look bouncy and chewy. I,、uh, I hope so.、Big. They're kind of big.、Uh, I'm going、Isn't、to. My straw is going to fit in there. I'm going to make you each、uh, a glass, and you each、Ooh. have a disposable. Not disposable, reusable.、Straws. I'm reusable.、Sorry. That's right. It's Earth Day, Andrew. So that's right. Look at the, these are from RTI, actually. They Reduce, reuse, recycle. We're、so、still using them. I'm going to also give you、uh, some spoons just in case the boba are just too big for your straw. There you go. Here's a spoon. It's amazing. This is homemade by Andrew Ryan. And one for you, Leslie.、Oh, thank you. You're too kind. And a spoon for you. I'm gonna grab that just in case.、Oh、yeah, that's a good call. Thank you, sir. Go ahead. It's not going in there. Dig in. It's not going in there. So I shouldn't have made that joke at the top of the show about big boba. The joke's on you, big boba. I got bigger boba. <laughs> I mean, you're talking about a global shortage of ingredients, but there's no shortage of deliciousness right here.、Uh, I can assure you that, Andrew. Very, very good boba. Thank you. 
Pretty good, Andrew. Is this your first try? This is my first try. That's pretty amazing. It's the, took a long time. It's a nice sweetness. Mm -hmm. Have you got it in the straw? I couldn't get it in the straw. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Watch yourself. Don't choke. Mm. <laughs> mm. That's not bad. It's not bad at all. So the trick is, if you want to make them nice and chewy, you really have to get the texture right. And That's this the, is what I struggle with. right? Yeah, because you want it nice and chewy. So what's crazy is it looks like lava, but then when you try to grab it up, it crumbles. So really, you want to go a little bit stickier, and you have to knead it for a long, long time. How many hours did it take you to do this? Uh, it took me a couple hours to put that together. <laughs> <laughs> but the actual kneading probably took 20, 30 minutes. Yeah, Not bad 20 for your minutes. First I would say. time. Yes, and uh, also you. I should mention too that uh, a lot of places in Taiwan will put sweet potato starch in theirs. You don't have to use that. Um, I wanted to do it nice and simple so that everybody can. Can give it a go. So, are people missing the tapioca starch in America? Is that what it is? I know. They're I running short of that. Apparently, it has something to do with the boat in the Suez Canal. <laughs> <laughs> I think Our boat, by the way. Yeah, yeah sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> but I also have heard that it's not every shop that's having problems. Okay, but some um, people are running out. That's right. And if you want to make you your own, you can make it at home. You can do it. So there you have it. That's today's Taiwan Taste Buds. And next up, more about tea in Brain Game. Today's brain game is called "Where's That Tea?" <laughs> so, yeah, we've already been talking a lot about boba and milk tea and the you know tapioca pearl variety, but obviously yes. Taiwan is also famous for kinds of tea that don't have those ingredients in. Oh, it's true. yeah, and obviously the <laughs> mountain tea. Yeah, right? mountain teas, and the, the kind of the most famous variety is oolong tea. But actually, oolong tea is actually made up of lots of different varieties, and they're all associated with different places in Taiwan. Wow, oh, great! I don't know any of this. <laughs> <laughs> well, we you'll love to some. learn. Yeah, so I'm going to show you uh, three tea plantations around Taiwan. Cool. And I want you to tell me where we are, and obviously, if you know. What tea it is? I want you to tell wow. me. Okay. Where's that tea? Sounds okay. good. <laughs> Sounds great. All right. So let's have a look at Yay, the first question. Good. Okay. Oh, that's beautiful. So we see some green oh. uh, rows of tea yeah, in the on foreground. On the mountains and beautiful clouds in the back. Um, in the distance, we see some not, blue mountains. Is that like? I'm gonna say that I can also see Taipei 101. You're right, you can. And that must be Wenshan Pinglin. But you can. There's another hint, which is those. Is it the Taipei Zoo? On top of the Taipei Zoo, right? What's the Taipei Zoo? Is where? Mao Kong. Mao Kong. That's right. That's what I was thinking. Exactly. Yes, we're in Mao Kong. This is just south of Taipei. You can see Taipei 101. From there, you can get there by gondola from the Taipei Zoo, like you said. Yeah, and. Uh, Mao Kong is associated with tea, Guanyin tea, or oh, Iron Goddess tea. That's yes. not very expensive, right? Yeah, and it's normally kind of heavier roasted, so it has right. a kind of toastier flavor. Mm. And it's originally from Fujian, but uh, is now grown a lot in Mao Kong. Wonderful! Yeah, love it. Uh, let's have a look at our second question. Okay, so Ooh, we see beautiful some, mountains. Some more terraces. Is that Ali San? We see Probably some not. women with Xinzu? red well, hats. Let's have a look at your hint. You've got a word hint for this one. Natalie, I think you're already there. Where is it? Where are we? Alisan. Yes. Oh, okay. That's right. We're in Alisan. I knew you were going to do Alisan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we're famous for its mountains. It's got lots of kind of walking trails and stuff. It's also got Alisan High Mountain Tea, mm. which the locals here say is the best tea in Taiwan. Look at that. That's beautiful. Yeah. It's rolled up into tiny little balls that kind of. 
fold apart when you add hot water to mm. them, and uh, it can go for up to four hundred US dollars per kilo. So, Ooh, so it's cheap, is what you're saying. <laughs> Super cheap. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let's have a look at our final question. Okay, oh, nice so we see here some water in the front. We see a statue of Buddha, a happy Buddha, and then we see a big is that temple. Shinto? Mm. Oh, good. So your hint word is. Haka. I was so, thinking something Haka. Yes. So we are in Shinju. Yeah. I mean, this one, I'm going to give you Shinju for this one because it's a bit tricky. We're in Erme Township in Shinju. Oh, wow. cool. Yeah, which is home to this, which is uh, the world's largest uh, uh, bronze Buddha statue. Oh. It's huge. Yeah. I've been by it actually. I've driven oh, by it before. It's yeah. It's very tall. <laughs> it's uh, it's it's very cool to see in the distance. Yes, and it's also home to Oriental Beauty Tea, oh. uh, which has a rather unique growing method. They actually leave these things called tea green leaf hoppers on them, That's and cute. their bites um, cause the leaf to ferment a little bit early, which gives it a honey flavor. But then you don't eat them, right? No, you don't eat the bites. <laughs> yeah. no, 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 no. But worry. they impart a very special flavor on the tea, and that's why it's so delicious. Exactly. Yeah. Mm, well, very interesting. Thank you for joining my game. I hope you learned something new. Are you feeling we thirsty? Did. Yes. I can have <laughs> yes. some more tea. <laughs> well, that's today's Brain Game. I hope you enjoyed watching. Anything you'd like to say to the typhoon, Andrew? Well, I was going to say better luck next time, but I don't know. I don't think we should talk like that to our uh, strong weather forces. I think we should be nice to the weather. <laughs> as long I hope they'll nice be to nice to us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And here's a look at some other stories on our radar. Taiwan has begun administering the AstraZeneca COVID-19 vaccine to people who need to travel abroad. It's for people traveling for work, school, medical, or humanitarian reasons, not for people going on vacation. You need to register online and pay around 20 US dollars for the hospital visit, but the vaccine is free. Already, waiting lists are bursting at the seams. Nearly 4,000 signed up to get their jabs this week. Citibank is stopping consumer banking services in Taiwan after 50 years of operating in the country. Citibank is Taiwan's sixth-largest card-issuing bank, so its exit will have a serious impact. The bank has not yet set an exit date, but already officials say they'll ensure the rights of Taiwanese customers and employees are respected. How low can it go? Taiwan's birth rate has been low for a long time now, but the CIA now predicts that this year, Taiwan's birth rate will be the world's lowest, at 1.07 children per woman. What's to blame for this? Many say it's low wages, expensive daycare, and unaffordable housing. Taiwan's ongoing drought is hurting the bees. Nowhere is this clearer than at this well at a temple in the central Taiwan city of Zhanghua. Bees are regular visitors in spring, but this year two or three times the normal number have swarmed over, just looking for something to drink. And for our final question of the day, we've been talking about boba shortages, so we're asking each other, what would you put in your iced tea in lieu of boba? Let's go with Andrew first. All right, so uh, I would choose aloe. That's pretty good. Yes. Very refreshing. Not for milk tea, but probably for an iced green tea or a lemon green tea. Okay, yeah. and you might want to try fresh fruits. Like you can do mm -hmm. cherry, apple, whatever fruit you like. If there's no boba where you are, try some fresh fruit. Well, uh, those guys, those are really great suggestions. I mean, fresh fruit and aloe. Aloe's great for the skin. Yes. I had to dream big, though, and my answer is... Oh, wow. <laughs> Gold flakes. <laughs> I've had almost everything in boba before. Aloe, fresh fruit, coconut jelly, puddings. But I've gold never had gold flakes. flakes. Yeah. I'm very Pretty curious. Cool. That's great. I'm surprised nobody said IU. 
Love Jade. Oh, it's a Taiwanese. Yes,、uh, it's also very refreshing. Fruit. It's got seeds in the outside, and you scrape it, and it turns into enzymes that thicken the water. Yeah, gold flake jelly. If you can figure、sounds、that out, I'll be on your next Taiwan taste buds. I promise you that. <laughs> I don't think we can beat gold flakes. Well, there you have it. That's our episode of Taiwan Insider for this week. Thanks for joining us, and be sure to connect with us on social media. Yes, like us, subscribe, leave a comment. We'd love to hear from you. And for Taiwan Insider, I'm Natalie So. I'm Leslie Liao, and I'm Andrew Ryan. See you next week. Taiwan today with Natalie So. I'm here with Ray Green, the deputy director of the American Institute in Taiwan, the de facto U.S. embassy in Taiwan, and we're going to talk about U.S.-Taiwan ties and how U.S. and the Taiwan are working together in education. Now, the U.S. is playing a role in helping Taiwan become a bilingual nation, and with Confucius Institutes closing in the U.S., Taiwan hopes to help fill the gap over there. So, Ray, it's great to have you on the show. It's good to be here, Natalie. And it's exciting to see that U.S. and Taiwan are cooperating in terms of education, and we know that there's this big trend going on with Confucius Institutes that they're starting to close down. Can you tell us what the concern is over these institutes? I think it's not just a concern in the United States, but you see around the world. I think there's greater awareness of the、uh, downsides that Confucius Institutes brings to、uh, university campuses around the world. Obviously, when China created the program in 2004, the stated goal was to provide a platform. For Chinese language education and cultural、uh, understanding, but as we've seen over the years, more and more these Confucius Institutes have been involved in spreading propaganda or even、um, suppressing academic freedoms on campuses. And so,、uh, many media outlets, but, also, but especially the National Association of Scholars, have done studies about the Confucius Institutes and some of their activities. And among the areas that many、uh, campuses are concerned about are, for example,、um, the, in their education on Chinese history, leaving out key、uh, historical developments. Elements,、um, but even worse,、um, using the Confucius Institutes or the resources that come along with those institutes to put pressure on universities to avoid sensitive topics like Taiwan or Tibet. And so, because of that, not,、um, uh, many university campuses have asked the Confucius Institutes to shut down,、uh, and they're in the market to look for other alternative resources to support the growing demand for Mandarin、uh, education.、And、that's where the U.S.-Taiwan Education Initiative can play a really vital role in filling that gap without any of the, kind of the negative、uh, aspects of that of the.、Uh, Of the Confucius Institutes. That's true. I've heard that over seventy have already closed、mm-hmm. out of about a hundred.、Right. Do you think all of them are going to close down? Or? That seems to be the trend. Currently, there are fifty still in the United States.、Uh, eight of those have already indicated that they will、um, no longer be in operation in the near future. You see a similar trend in Europe, and so I,、uh, I think that the the model seems to be、uh, fading. And so there is a huge demand、uh, in the United States and around the world for for alternatives. So I've also heard that China too is beginning to change its strategy to engage with academic institutions through other ways,、mm-hmm. and maybe spread their you know agenda through、right. other ways. So does the U.S. have other ways of? Preventing this, one of the ways we've seen a trend recently is、uh, the universities in the United States and Chinese have these partnership programs, and I think some of the universities now are looking at whether that also presents a vulnerability. I mean,、mm. if they're exchanging faculty, are there、uh, limits on what the faculty can teach, or are there other sort of、um, strings attached to these partnership programs? And so, I think in addition to what we're doing、uh, between Taiwan and the United States at an official level, one of the areas we're looking at is how can we encourage more American universities to tie up with Taiwan universities. 
universities to have similar um, academic um, exchange programs because we know uh, working with a Taiwan university doesn't come along with any sort of political strings. Uh, in fact, Taiwan universities, I think, are very uh, well respected around the world for their academic freedom. And we share the same values of like, democracy, of course, right? Of course. So tell us more about how you see Taiwan helping to fill the gap of, you know, Chinese language education in the yeah. United States. Yeah, I, I don't think we expect Taiwan to replace the Confucius Institutes mm -hmm. in the same model. I think what we're looking for is that Taiwan can present an alternative platform for uh, Americans who are looking to learn uh, Mandarin and learning to understand Chinese culture, uh, because uh, Taiwan has um, a long history of um, Chinese education. I think. In the last 20 years, because there was kind of a China boom, a lot of uh, American students had shifted to the mainland. I think now uh, there's more and more of an awareness of the opportunities here, and we'd like to use the education initiative to expand those opportunities, both for American students to come to Taiwan to learn Chinese, but also to get more Chinese language teachers to go to the United States. And so, for example, uh, under our Fulbright, U.S.-Taiwan Fulbright program, we have the Fulbright the Teaching Assistant Program. So this year, we're sending 60 Taiwanese uh, teachers to the United States to universities to uh, to help fill that language gap. But even more importantly, I think we're expanding the number of um, programs and scholarships for students to come to Taiwan. So, for example, the United States government has a number of programs, for example, the National Security Language Program or the Critical Language Program or the Gilman Scholarship targeting um, uh, minorities uh, universities students. Uh, Taiwan is giving $790,000 to increase the number of those students and above and beyond what the United States government has provided. Uh, similarly, um, we are looking to expand the Fulbright program itself. So uh, the U.S. side just in the last couple of months has committed to a million dollars over five years to increase uh, funding for our Fulbright programs in Taiwan so they can bring more um, students here. So there's a lot of, I think, opportunities uh, for two-way uh, communications. At the same time, of course, supporting Taiwan's bilingual 2030 goal. That is the Deputy Director of the American Institute in Taiwan, Raymond Green, telling us about how Taiwan and the U.S. are working together in education. Now, Taiwan has an ambitious goal. It wants to become a bilingual nation by 2030, and the United States is going to help Taiwan with those plans. More about that next. Taiwan Today with Natalie So. The sound of the Puyuma tribe on Radio Taiwan International. Listening to Taiwan Today, and I am Natalie So. The United States and Taiwan are working together in terms of education. Taiwan is increasing the number of Mandarin teachers who will be going to the United States, and 
Taiwan is also asking the United States to help it with its bilingual nation 2030 plan. Taiwan wants to become a more bilingual nation by 2030. Now join me as I speak with the American Institute in Taiwan, Deputy Director Raymond Green, about how the United States will help Taiwan in its goals to become a bilingual nation. It's great that Taiwan can help spread the learning of the Chinese language and even culture abroad and, and at home here. And that the U.S. is getting involved with our bilingual program. Can you tell us what the U.S. is doing? So we're very supportive of this idea because I think this uh, underlines one of the uh, pillars of U.S.-Taiwan relations, which is the people-to-people -people relationship. And also, it, I think, supports other initiatives we have, for example, the Talent Circulation Alliance, where we're trying to increase professional exchanges. And so for Taiwanese to go to the United States to study an advanced degrees, particularly in engineering and the sciences, then coming back to Taiwan, working with Taiwan and U.S. companies. So, of course, all of that requires uh, language ability. And I think as Taiwan looks to more internationalize, diversify its uh, economic relationships, having a bilingual program is really important. So we're very much committed to this. Uh, one of the areas we're working with Taiwan on is um, bringing more expertise here to help Taiwan develop English as a medium of instruction. Uh, because really, I think Taiwan's strategy to have uh, courses in university and graduate level taught uh, in English um, is, will be very important to getting the Taiwan population, especially younger Taiwanese, up to that very high level of professional proficiency. We're also looking to expand existing programs. So, for example, we have the Fulbright English Teaching Assistant Program. So this year we'll have 152 mostly young Americans come to Taiwan uh, and to teach in schools uh, throughout Taiwan, from Taipei down to Pingdong, Jinmen uh, to the east, and Taidong to the, uh, to the west, and uh, Taidong to the east. Um, this is a great way of, of um, helping local uh, schools uh, expand their English language opportunities. This year also the Ministry of Education has created the English Language Fellows, which will allow these, um, usually the participants in this program stay for one or two years, but now under this program, 70 will be able to stay longer and continue to help uh, local high schools and junior high schools with their uh, meet their English education goals. And so recently, uh, under our ed education initiative, uh, we just announced in Kaohsiung to create a new platform, an education platform, in, co uh, in cooperation with Sun Yat-sen University and Wenzhou University. Uh, AIT is very supportive of this, and we're looking to um, send some State Department English language specialist resources to assist them in, in building this platform, which will serve both to help Americans coming to Taiwan uh, to help uh, work in the English language um, uh, sector, have more advanced training, but also to prepare Taiwanese instructors going to the United States. And so it's a it'll be a professional uh, vocational uh, training center, which I think will help in both directions as part of the education initiative. This sounds like a lot of great work that you guys are doing in this respect. It's that's, been a busy couple wonderful, of months. wonderful, I'm yeah, sure. Yeah. So you see more um, American teachers coming to Taiwan and American language specialists coming here to help Taiwan with its bilingual goals? I, I think it'll be required because it's a very ambitious program that Taiwan has right. for this. Uh, I mean, to try to achieve this bilingual nation by uh, 2030. And so in addition to the official resources, one of the areas we're talking to Taiwan about is how to help them recruit uh, American educators uh, to come and join these programs. And one of the advantages of our education initiative it, it has as one of its partners, the U.S. Department of
of Education, which um, is in constant contact with educators from the uh, elementary school straight through uh, graduate programs. And so we've been able to use this as a vehicle to highlight opportunities for American educators to uh, come to Taiwan, either under official programs like Fulbright uh, or under um, uh, Taiwan government programs that are looking to assist universities in building this EMI model, English as a um, mode of, uh, of, of uh, instruction uh, model. The other area we're talking to Taiwan about is uh, to, in some ways, merge these two programs. And so, for example, American graduate students who come here under Fulbright program, as part of their scholarship, um, they would also assist Taiwanese professors in uh, developing oh. curriculum in English so that they can uh, support these new uh, EMI goals. So it's, uh, there's a lot of synergies, actually, between uh, the English part of the education initiative and the Mandarin language part. That's great. I think Taiwan is a great place to be for people who are interested, right? Would you agree? Totally agree. <laughs> I, I mean, I think this is a tremendous soft power opportunity for Taiwan. I've never met anyone uh, in the United States who's been to Taiwan and, and never left being completely in love with Taiwan. I mean, just there's the, the, friendliness of the, the friendliness of the people. Like you said, the shared values of democracy and freedom. Uh, I mean, I think uh, there's just a natural affinity between Americans and Taiwanese. And I think any program that can bring our two peoples together into contact, either uh, in the United States or even better, bringing Americans to Taiwan is going to really have a long-term payoff for the strength of the U.S.-Taiwan relationship. And you've been here for three years. How have you enjoyed your time in Taiwan? Oh, it's been tremendous. It's been a real honor. This is actually my second time at AIT. I was here about 20 years ago. Uh, first, I came here to learn Chinese, and so I was... A, so you know what it's like to uh, learn Chinese exactly. here, right? Exactly, and I know what a great uh, opportunity it is. In fact, the State Department, um, we have a our uh, lang Chinese language field school here in Taipei. Uh, it used to be in Yamingshan, next to um, uh, the Chinese Culture University. Now we've re relocated it to Nehu inside our new building, but uh, every year we have about 20 American diplomats uh, who come to Taiwan to learn Chinese, and I think we've found that the ability to learn thai, thai, Chinese in Taiwan uh, is a really uh, special uh, opportunity because it's such an easy place to get to make friends, to get out and use the language. Um, and, and also, I think for all of our young diplomats, many of them heading off to mainland China uh, or Hong Kong, uh, experiencing a year in Taiwan gives them a better perspective on how we can manage uh, that very complex cross-strait relationship in the mm -hmm. future. So very pleased to see that program going strong and I'm even more pleased to see that we're bringing more and more U.S. government-funded programs to Taiwan. Well, that's great. I think uh, Taiwanese appreciate when people learn Chinese, right? And they're very friendly and accommodating right. when you practice your Chinese, yeah. right? <laughs> that is the Deputy Director of the American Institute in Taiwan, the de facto U.S. Embassy in Taiwan. Raymond Green was telling us about the U.S.-Taiwan Education Initiative. Taiwan will be helping people in the U.S. to learn Chinese and welcoming more Americans to come here to study Chinese, whereas the United States will be helping Taiwan with its bilingual nation 2030 goals. Next week, we talk about the latest developments in U.S.-Taiwan ties, including the new guidelines the U.S. State Department put out for interaction between U.S. and Taiwan officials. That and why Mr. Green thinks Taiwan is a model for the world in next week's Taiwan Today.
all your science and tech news, it's Stash Butler with The Download. Welcome to The Download, a brand new show from Radio Taiwan International covering all the latest developments in science and technology. I'm your host, Stash Butler, and I'll be taking you through everything you need to know. In this episode, we continue our conversation with Michael Campbell, founder of the language learning app Glossika. He tells me that if Taiwan is going to get better at English, the country needs to stop focusing on grammar. All that and more coming up on The Download. First up, a little background info. Later in this episode, Michael and I are going to talk about Taiwan's 2030 Bilingual Nation Plan. What does that mean? Well, in 2018, Taiwan's government set out a grand plan. They decided that if Taiwan was going to get better connected with the rest of the world, Taiwanese people needed to get better at English. That's why they announced the 2030 Bilingual Nation Plan. It aims to get Taiwan speaking Mandarin and English by, well you guessed it, the year 2030. The so-called blueprint for the plan contains dozens of areas where the government wants to raise English language capabilities. That includes in tourism, TV shows and taxis, just to name a few. But it's not going to be easy. A recent survey by the British Council found that fewer than one in five high school graduates has a high enough level of English to function in an English-speaking workplace. I'm going to ask Michael how to fix that. But first, we talk about the recent revolution in language education. People increasingly with things like language learning were turning to kind of technology they're turning to kind of apps turning to websites how do i mean how do you think language learning or learning a language has changed i mean since your childhood i mean over recent decades and but also the last few years as well well there's just so much um better access now to material and i'm just i'm always surprised when i encounter somebody who's like 15 or 16 years old or even 20 years old and how much they know people who are coming of age now are so much smarter than we were. It's just really amazing how much access to information there is. It's such a gift. It's it's a blessing. You know, in, if you don't spend all your time just looking at this information, learning it, and just you're missing out on a lot. On YouTube, I mean, you can just go learn anything you want. Going back actually to kind of you making your product, how much of this, I mean, do you have a background in tech yourself? Or, I mean, did you learn to kind of do this by yourself? Or did you hire other people to help you create the product? Um, but you were kind of focusing on the linguistic element? Yeah, I've, been, I've always been focused on the linguistics element. But linguistics is quite a broad field. I mean, there's um, there's natural language processing and the computational linguistics. And I I basically taught myself on, on most of that. And, you know, how to work with data sets, how to prepare data, how to tag data. I'm kind of a a math, mathy type of person. So I'm always into the, the data. And so when it comes to design, I'm an absolute idiot. And so if anybody thinks that Glossika looks like a well-designed product, I mean, that's just relying on a lot of talented team members. My expertise is, is mainly just with the, the linguistics aspect. I'm kind of a walking encyclopedia for the languages of the world. And so whether it's writing systems, grammars, um, and th- there are so many spoken languages in the world where people don't know really how to, to write them or encode them. And so I've been thinking a lot about how to deal with these issues. Like how, how can we bring unwritten languages to the Viva platform? Um, do we actually have to have a written translation for everything? You know, is there a way around this? And so these are some of the questions that we're asking. I mean, I think that Viva 
essentially could get to um, supporting thousands of languages. And it just depends on whether we build it right. Taiwan has its plan to be a bilingual nation by 2030. And so, I mean, mm. obviously, Taiwan is filled with people who want to be learning English. And mm. obviously, they are learning in schools, but there's still a lot to be done to kind of reach that goal. I mean, what do you think needs to be done to achieve that? And what part can, can Glossika play in that, do you think? What everybody needs to learn from a young age is that the access to information is, is extremely important. And so where do you find your information? And by English being your tool, you're going to find a lot of information. I feel like that if anybody does not know English and they want to have access to information, they're very handicapped in this world. Language needs to be a tool and needs to be taught, you know, how to use that language as a tool. And so there's a lot of emphasis to build fluency, for example, or just pass tests, you know, like how much vocabulary do you know? Okay, can you pass this test? If the country wants to get to a bilingual goal, you know, in the next decade, that's going to have to be something where you're using the language as a tool to do all of your learning. And so I would say that don't focus so much on the language itself, but use the language more as a tool. Let's say you, you get a book that is written in English about Taiwan history. Now you're going to read this, the chapter in the book. You're going to talk about this in English rather than in Chinese. Then your English is going to improve drastically because all of the vocabulary used in that chapter are going to be related to where you live. It's about you. You can now talk about it in English. You know, everybody talks about building this environment, this English environment, and I don't think you can build the English environment. That's always some faraway dream in the clouds. What you have to do is you need to use the language as a tool to get your other learning done. And then you actually sound like a much smarter speaker. Try to focus less on, on grammar. And grammar is not necessarily, it doesn't help people speak better. Not necessarily. What do you think is the future for Glossika and things like Glossika? We're really focused on building as good of an educational product that we can. So there's still a long ways to go. In terms of machine learning, there's a lot of data that, that we're putting together in the company that we're not able to find or buy anywhere else from other companies. And so we're building a lot of that data. So I think that the company also has a position, um, a strong position in being able to build out NLP data sets, properly annotated data that can be useful for uh, machine learning and, and other AI kind of technology. So I think that um, there's a lot of potential right there with the with the company and in, in developing more revenue streams as well. You touched upon kind of, uh, I suppose, natural language processing and the kind of rise of machine translation. I mean, some people might say, oh, wow, Google Translate is getting so good that in the future, we won't need to learn languages at all. I mean, how do you how do you react to that? Well, I think that machine learning or AI in general has a long ways to go to really understanding what human intent is you know, this is also a very subjective thing because I, I used to work in translation. And so you can get 10 people in a room who all disagree on a translation. As far as like language learning, I think people are always going to want to learn languages because first of all, it's identity. It's who you are. That's the heritage aspect. And secondly, there's access to information. Being able to speak a language from your own vocal cords is, is a very satisfying feeling rather than trying to rely on a product. And so there's always going to be that feeling of like, um, oh, that guy over there, he speaks it and I'm still using my machine to translate. And so there's always going to be that, that feeling of like peer pressure from other people because, I mean, we're, we're social animals, you know. So I think that, you know, language learning isn't going to go away. The technologies are there to really help people where it's really necessary. So when you get a grandma on an airplane and she only speaks some minor dialect and you have no idea how to service her or, you know, she has a, a specific need that needs to be addressed and you have no way to communicate with her. 
then that's where technologies can really come in, maybe save lives, maybe they can uh, really help people out, you know. And so the technologies are, are sort of uh, necessary uh, in a humane way. So it's, it's really important that we do have the ability to communicate with people across thousands of languages, you know, from Africa, India, and South America, you know, wherever those languages may be, it's, it's important that we do understand how to communicate with these people. And so, I mean, there's so, there's a very long way that we need to go. I mean, I think Google right now only has about a hundred languages that they've encoded into the translation. And they've probably collected data on maybe three or 400 more, but there's 7,000 languages in the world. And there's about a hundred sign languages. I mean, even though you work with text and everything all the time, you still can't communicate with people who are, who have these kinds of disabilities. And so there's really, really a long way to go. That was Michael Campbell, founder of Glossika, talking about how if Taiwan is going to get better at English, it needs to learn to use English as a tool, and how improvements in Google Translate aren't keeping him up at night. And that's all we have time for this week. Next week, I'm going to be speaking to the founder of a startup hoping to save Taiwan's tech industry from the next big earthquake. That's next week with me, Stash Butler, on The Download. Imagine life without the sweet QQ of boba. Sad, huh? Today I'm going to show you how to make a very simple boba with just three ingredients. So simple, in fact, that when you see headlines warning of a boba shortage, a boba apocalypse, you'll never have to worry again because you're going to be able to make it yourself. So all you need is 100 grams of tapioca starch, 40 grams of brown sugar, and 65 grams of water. Start by boiling the water and adding the brown sugar. Mix it up good. Then pour the mixture into your tapioca starch and quickly combine. Once it's cool enough to touch, you're gonna wanna get your hands in there and knead it. And you should be forewarned, this could take a while. If it's too dry, add a little hot water. If it's too wet, add a little starch. This is starting to look pretty good, like modeling clay. But actually, we have a small problem here. It's spreading like lava. I adjust by adding some more tapioca starch and eventually I get a nice doughy texture that doesn't stick to my hands. Next, I sprinkle the surface with tapioca starch and roll out about a quarter of the dough into a fat worm. Chop that baby up into tiny chunks, but you'll want them a little smaller than boba because they're gonna expand when you cook them. Carefully roll each ball one at a time with two fingers in your palm. If they crumble, wet your fingers. And be sure to coat your boba babies with starch so they don't stick together. How about them bobas? Now it's time to cook them. And for that, we need a liter of boiling water. Drop your boba in the pot and immediately begin stirring them to keep them from sticking together. Once they rise to the surface with a rolling boil, you'll want to cover the pot and cook them for 15 minutes. Here's what they look like after about 15 minutes. 
A little big perhaps, but they've got a nice color and they're slightly translucent. Now I've turned off the heat, I'm going to let them luxuriate in this hot bath for another 10 minutes to get them nice and chewy at the center, or QQ as we say in Taiwan. At this point, you can run them under cold water if you don't want them to get too gloopy, but I head straight to the final step and add some brown sugar to sweeten them up. Don't these babies look delicious? Only thing that's missing now is some sweet Taiwanese milk tea to wash them down. And now the moment of truth. How do our little uh, boba taste? Ooh, those look good. They look bouncy and chewy. I, uh, and I hope so. Big. They're kind of big. Uh, I'm going to. Oh, my straw's going to fit in there. I'm going to make you each uh, a glass, and you each Ooh. have a disposable. Not disposable, straws. reusable. I'm reusable. Sorry. That's right. It's huh? Earth Day, Andrew. So that's right. Look at the, these are from RTI actually. They Reduce, gave reuse, recycle. Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw for the latest news and features from Taiwan. You can also listen to our programs and watch videos as well. Our 60-minute English language program can also be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 9405 kHz. Again, that's in southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 9405 kHz. And in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. Again, that's in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Again, that's P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Or send an email to rti at rti.org.tw. Again, that's rti at rti.org.tw. Also visit us on Facebook. The address is fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International. Once again, on Facebook, we're located at fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International for videos, photos, and news of interest from Taiwan. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International. Thank you.